0: Throughout his career, Arjeet Mukaji has been able to learn, innovate, and lead. As the CTO of SignalFX, he gets to do all of those things at once. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Arjeet details his rise through the tech industry, including a number of years at Facebook in the midst of its massive growth. Plus, he explains why he wanted to take a risk and join SignalFX, and what it was like rising from employee number one to the role of CTO. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps.
1: Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries, me and Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. In studio, Arjeet, how's it going?
2: Going pretty well. Glad to be here.
1: Yeah. So this is our second interview with someone on the technical team at SignalFX. We had Rajesh in here talking about being the Chief Architect and what's that, mm-hmm. what that means. And now we're going to have you come in here and talk about what being the CTO means. And also, we're gonna to touch a little bit on like what IT means at SignalFX because I think it's a little different uh, as a company that's you know born in the cloud and, and everything, what that kind of means. But we're gonna get into a ton of stuff from your background uh, in engineering. You've worked at some really cool companies and uh, we'll get into all that. But first, how'd you get into
2: technology? How did I get into technology? Uh, I think it actually started when I was in sixth grade we had our uh, computer studies class that was an optional class that some of the students could do and I selected computer studies and then back in the day um, you know back in India so my dad got me a uh, a little you know you you know Sinclair Spectrum ZX80s and so on Uh, anyway those used to be those little home computers that you could run yeah it had 64 kilobytes of memory it was pretty advanced anyway so he got us one of those and that's kind of what got me on the path to programming and that interest remained. So when, um, when I went to school, sort of the uh, electronics and computer science is what my background ended up being. But uh, it all started back in the day. Uh, my dad actually uh, uh, encouraged this interest a lot. Uh, so he used to buy me these super expensive Time Life series books on on computers and technology. And, and, and I think that was really formative, uh, at least for me. Do you think that
1: you're kind of like early, early career interest in engineering, interest in technology, you know, it leads you to this place where you, you know, you get an MS from UC Davis in computer science. You're kind of going down that traditional route. When did startups start becoming something that you were interested in?
2: Uh, So, uh, interesting question. So, you know, when I was graduating, uh, when I graduated from UC Davis, you obviously look around and you see, you know, what companies are out there. And I graduated back in 99. So this is like the peak of the internet boom days. Like if you remember, like, you know, the more loss you made, the better the company did. (laughs) Lots of IPOs. It was like crazy, crazy times. And of course, I also applied to uh, some startups as well as to some larger companies. I got offers from two. One was a startup and one was Cisco. And... uh, I've regretted the decision and then again, maybe not so much later, but uh, I ended up joining Cisco because when I went to interview there, uh, I was very impressed by just the campus and the scale of things. It felt like, wow, like these guys have it made. This is amazing. Yeah. It's a different matter that that startup went on to be a very, very successful IPO. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I made a mistake, but in, in the end, it doesn't really matter as much. But then, you know, time goes by, and at some point, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm working in this big company, but I'm in in Silicon Valley. This is where, you know, action is. This is Mm -hmm. where you stay. Of course, it's expensive to stay, but there's so much opportunity. If I remain in a big company, then am I really exploiting the opportunity that's around me? Like, if I'm going to keep on working just in a big company, might as well move somewhere different and have a great quality of life and so on. And that's kind of what got me... uh, thinking that maybe I should change some scenery. And that's kind of what got me into Facebook. And then Facebook was an amazing, amazing ride. It was but a great experience. this was early days. This I was mean- early days, yeah. So I went there end of 2007. So back in the day, it's a, it was obviously not a done deal. MySpace was ruling the roost. And and then Facebook was just this up and coming challenger, a fraction of the size, maybe 40 million active users and whatnot. But the company did have like very big ambitions. Actually, there's an interesting story about uh, about Facebook. If you wanna hear, so uh, so it it happened when my wife was visiting back in back in India, mm-hmm. me, me, meeting her family, and I was up here doing nothing better to do. So I decided let me go ahead and apply at some companies, and I applied to Facebook. I got in. And then when she comes back, she's on the phone with her dad, says, hey, dad, you know, Arajit changed his job and he's joined this company called, called Facebook. And because the phone lines were probably not great, he heard sex book. oh <laughs> <And my. laughs> he's thinking, oh, my God, what has happened to my daughter? My poor daughter is married to this creep, is probably what he's thinking. Oh my And then, God. of course, it was not the same. But I mean, it was not a known brand. I think that's the point back in the day, especially, you know, if you're thinking India. But anyway, so that was very wonderful because I I saw a lot of Lot of stuff. It was very exciting. It's a lot of growth. It was an amazing, amazing place to be. And I was there for almost what five and a half years or so. And then that's when I'm thinking, wow, you know, if I enjoyed this experience so much, why not uh, try something even smaller? Like, why not try to see what happens when a company grows from like nothing to something, right? And that's kind of what got me interested. And that's kind of why I I joined Signal Effects in the end. So how big was Facebook when you started? Like how many employees? Uh, I think uh, it was maybe 400 or a little less than that in terms of total employees. I think the number of engineers in the company was maybe 100 or less. So it was a very, very small uh, community at that time.
1: We had Jocelyn on. I don't know if you were. Go Jocelyn. fine. Already. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've had her had her on for, for two parts on IT Visionary. She's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, She's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's funny that you guys overlapped. So I love that idea of like, hey, found something that worked pretty well. I mean, you had to feel pretty fortunate that you're like, wow, I picked the right, <laughs> picked the right company yeah. at that point. But picking that second winner is, <laughs> you know, you're like, hey, my, or my luck, you're good. Uh, I got on, I stayed on, I, I did everything I needed to get the job, did a great job. But then thinking about trying to find really, really early stage companies is hard. I mean, I think a lot of our listeners who are thinking about doing things like that can probably say like, how How do you know how to pick sure. something that's going to be
2: good? I think I'll give the short version of it. The answer is you don't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for me, this is kind of how I think it played out. Uh, a successful company has a lot that needs to go right in order to make that successful, right? It's not just the technology. It's not just the marketing. It's not just the sales. not just the CEO. Like you need a lot of things you need a whole lot of luck at the same time, right? So I think for SignalFX for me it was actually uh, not a done deal by any means. A couple of things sort of uh, came together, which I think uh, got me to join. Firstly, you know, so at that point I was I was I was willing. I had appetite to take risk. Yeah. But I said, you know what, I want to go for experience and don't worry about you know, whether it works out or not. Something has worked out well for me, so let's just take some risk. let's just try things out. So there was a little bit of that going on in the mind. The area that what SignalFX does is exactly what I worked at at, at Facebook. So I helped build their metrics monitoring system and was sort of working on that for a, quite a while. And so it was exactly in the area that I wanted. It was being founded by the technical co-founder, Phil Liu, who was a friend of mine. We worked together at Facebook for many years. I liked him. He liked me. So it was also with a person that I kind of trust and, yeah. and I and, and respect. And so at that, that point, I was thinking, look, um, if I'm going to go to, as a non-founder, if I'm going to go to a startup, this is probably as good as an opportunity to join SignalFX as opposed to something else. Because, you know, all the stars have aligned, good technology stuff I'm passionate about, good people It got funded from uh, uh, Andreessen Horowitz. So, you know, good good VC backers and so on. So anyway, so that's kind of why I decided to sort of jump ship and join. Like I said, there was nothing. There was no software, nothing on paper. So everything that we built, we had to build from scratch. And you were employee number one. Yes, I was employee number one. I like to say that uh, I did not found the company, but the company found me. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) exactly right. Uh, I mean, that, you know,
1: and obviously, you know, flash forward to to you being CTO. I mean, back then, you know, it's, you can point the dots, you know, now, now that you're here, but looking back then, I'm sure it was like, hey, you know, we need to build this thing from scratch. Everyone is an individual contributor because we're all so early stage. What was that like to start building, you know, from, from paper to actually building the product?
2: I'll tell you, it was some of the most fun times in my working career, right? Uh, This is exactly what you join to experience, and that's kind of what happens. So it's great. So first day, I think for me was, I think, assembling some chairs, but that's beside the point. Assembling chairs? Yeah, we had to do all of that because, you know, it was just two men and a desk. Uh, You're sitting
1: in in our studio right now for our listeners, like our studio is set up uh, in a garage. I mean, I carried this table, you know, I'm the one (laughs) who found it on Craigslist, uh, painted these walls. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you.
2: Yeah, our first office was actually in this uh, place which used to be a, you know, like a, you could fight digital monsters. It was called Monster Fight Dojo. Monster <laughs> yeah. Fight Dojo. Yeah, so that's what was in the place that we, we first joined. And uh, th- there was some paint job done to cover the, that sign, but it wa- you could read <laughs> it still. So it was very, very different. But that's all right. So anyway, so back going back to how we sort of build things. So... Uh, we initially sort of had a, you know Rajesh joined very soon after I did. There was another guy called Chris who was there, and then uh, Jack was another guy who sort of joined us relatively early on. And there's a few like a core four or five of us that then would brainstorm pretty much morning to evening. Uh, after a while, when we sort of had the ideas of you know this is kind of what we want to bring. One of the things we wanted to do, which is again why this is fun, is we did not just want to repeat what we have built in the past. So our goal was that, look, we've built something that was successful, but at the same time, there were things that we could have done better. There were features or things that it could do that potentially a lot of people would ask for that we did not have in the old system. Why not take a fresh approach? Why not do a next generation of that thing? It's a more interesting, you know, technical challenge, more more stimulating as well. You know, you build something new. And so that's what happened. So after a while, when we had this sort of idea of skeleton of what we want to build, then we said, D- let's divide and conquer. Each of us would take one area of, of the product that needs to be built, and then we would then go ahead and sort of go deeper into that. But we would always sort of uh, collaborate on a high level, like we'd come back and share our findings with everybody. And then after a while, the uh, the development work began, and then, then you know it sort of takes a life of its own uh, after a while did you ever feel
1: like in kind of those early days when you are building it all at some point we're going to get bigger and there's going to need to be processes there's going to need to be (laughs) be like you know stuff set up or was it just kind of like let's get to the next milestone let's get built to the next thing let's get to the next customer you know what i mean
2: yes i know exactly what you mean so in general lack of process is very liberating as you might imagine. It's a lot of fun. You can do whatever you want. It's very freeing. But of course, you're right. Like you cannot build something without having some processes in place. In that sense, I think uh, I'll say that uh, we are lucky in some sense. In the sense that the core team, the original first, I would say 10, 15 engineers at SignalFX, they're all Experienced people who have been around the block, who've seen a lot of things, who've who've seen things done right as well as wrong, and so I think we had a, uh, especially because of some of the engineers that we hired that joined us, like we had a a sense for doing things a little bit more uh, systematic way, relatively from the beginning in terms of the kind of tooling we had, the kind of processes we had. It wasn't like super advanced or anything by any means, but it was still there because again we've informed by past experience of working and seeing, you know, these kind of systems being built. And so, yes, there was a little bit of process, but I, I I will agree with you that that needs to change over time. So right now, for example, we are far more process-oriented in our development process than we used to be. And that's also a requirement because as the company matures, you need to become uh, more systematic in some sense. So we are going through that evolution. I think we are doing that quite well, actually. But yeah, so we are going through that whole evolution right now. But- I think we started from a relatively decent place, which I think allowed us to sort of make this transition more more easily without a whole lot of disruption.
1: How did the process work from going from everybody kind of being individual contributors to now you are an executive? You mm-hmm. were the CTO. Like, what was that kind of like?
2: Yeah, so um, it kind of happened somewhat organically. So, you know, the way it happens is at some point, like, we are obviously hiring and the company is growing. Uh, we were quite deliberate in how we hired, especially within engineering. Uh, we would probably average a, an engineer a month, if if not even that, perhaps for the first four or five years. So we were very deliberate in oh, who wow. we hired. So we, we grew slowly in the beginning. But then as the, as the teams grew and so on, at some point, you know, I found myself, Rajesh found himself, like, being less hands-on and a little bit more of a, you know, just looking at whether the projects are running well, a little bit of sort of the people management and so on. So started yeah. coming in. It was all very informal. So our goal was to maintain a flatness to the structure as long as we could. Yeah, uh, Because we felt that that was very desirable because it's part of the small startup experience. If you can bring somebody in and say, you're going to re- report to, you know, uh, the CTO and, you know, everybody's got, to, we don't have any titles, for example, yeah. so it's very flat. So everything was sort of somewhat informal, but roles were slowly being formed over time, right? And then at some point, you know, that it starts becoming more and more, where I started becoming basically managing a couple of the functions within the team. And then uh, four years or so, After the company was started, Phil decided to take a step back. His children were growing up, going to high school. So he wanted to spend some time uh, with his family. At that point, so then there was a need for a CTO. And because, you know, I have been there from the beginning, Rajesh has been there from the beginning. So we sort of became CTO and uh, uh, chief architect at that time. I was running engineering because I was sort of in some ways... uh, uh, Phil's sort of second in command, so to speak, his right hand man for a while. And so uh, when he left, sort of running engineering on an interim basis until we hired our excellent sort of VP of engineering, Leonid. And when that happened, so we had this troika in place. So with Rajesh, with Leonid, and myself. So that was very interesting. It, it was an interesting transition for me because uh, it's a very different role, as you can imagine. Especially yeah. having a chief architect and a VP of engineering in place, the role of a CTO is is something different. So it was an evolution. It was a very interesting transition for me, and uh, so that was actually fun. But yeah. anyway, so yeah. Well, and I think I think it's a really cool story because
1: you know you always hear like no startup is the same, right? Every single startup startup is its own unique you know, a little flower in this Mm -hmm. world. And I think it's super true that there's not really a rule or set of rules or principles that you can just slap onto anything. You know, each one is is totally different and each one is going to have a different founding story. Each one is going to have, you know, different sort of things. And to get caught up in the titles and the bureaucracy and things like that, rather than, you know, focusing on your customers, building things that they want, you know, that sort of stuff, I think you kind of uh, get wrapped up. And I think the Kind of just startup like Hollywood startups, you know, like the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the professionalization and the glorification of, of things rather than yeah. at the end of the day, it's a bunch of people doing work um, and trying to get the job done. And it seems like, you know, from everyone that we've interviewed at Signal, obviously we've interviewed, uh, you know, Mark Craney and Tom Buda, the CMO, Mark Craney, the the COO, uh, you and Rajesh. It just seems like everyone is about getting the work done and is about doing what, what you're here to do, not here for the startup theater,
2: you know? You're exactly right. I'll tell you this. So it's really about doing what's right for the company, as you said. I was perfectly happy not being CTO. If Phil, Phil was here, he would continue to have been there. And that's fine too. So because I, I feel of the company as like, almost like a baby yeah. in the sense that you've been from the beginning, you've of sort of let it grow. You care about the company a lot. And so you wanna do make sure you do things that, that are good for it. and personal stuff happens It doesn't happen it's, sort of, it's it's. not really the main driver yeah. right and but it's also true that if, if the company does well like if the company grows then opportunities necessarily will open up right and so that will happen organically it doesn't have to be you know at least in my opinion like so planned and you know uh, like things just happen if you're there if you're good if you're doing work that's important for the company then opportunities open up for you and that's kind of what I would say perhaps right
1: What were some of the things that surprised you as you grow? Like, I would imagine that going into board meetings as CTO feels a little different than being an individual contributor or, you know, whatever it is. There's those kind of situations that come up where it's like, okay, now this title actually means something to other people that, you know, internally we might not have ever cared about, but externally is a big deal.
2: Yes, it is. I don't feel any different. Yeah, right. But yes, the title does make a difference. Yes, so the, you know, board meeting experience especially initially were very interesting. Uh, obviously, uh being in this role, I now get exposed to many other sort of associated things on the business side of things, yep. for example, things like fundraising and so on. And it's it's fascinating to see how that part of the work, you know, the world works in yeah. some sense because while you're working on technology, while you're coding and so on or even managing like You still sort of your your environment is still the technology stuff, technical stuff itself. But there's so much else that are going on. So for me, the fascinating bit is seeing how businesses work and businesses succeed, and what are the challenges. And I also get obviously a lot more visibility into what happens on the sales side, on the marketing side. And to me, that's sort of fascinating. It's just that uh, that exposure that one gets. Obviously, uh, my role also has become far more. um, external facing that is also interesting you know transition in the sense that uh, i didn't know i enjoyed talking publicly as much <laughs> as i perhaps do uh, that was sort of a revelation at the same time you can have very meaningful conversations people will seek you out to sort of you know share ideas discuss things so yes yeah, so this this title does sort of make a difference as far as how others will perceive you in some sense
1: yeah i mean both rajesh and and mark talked about how you jump on sales calls all the time, or you know, talk to customers all the time, things like that. That traditionally, you know, I'm sure you didn't think that <laughs> you, you were necessarily going to be doing back, you know, uh, when you're employee one. But I think it's it's one of those things that I think a lot of you know CIOs and CTOs that we talk to on the show when they're first starting. A lot of times they're taking, you know, they've been at a point in their career where they become the role that you know they you know apply for a job, go from VP of IT to CIO mm-hmm. or you know, VP of engineering to CTO. Mm-hmm. When you're born in the company and you've had the experience that you've had in your career and you become that, it's just a different, it's a different set of experiences that bring you to that point. And then you have this opportunity to look up and say, Well, what are my peers doing? What are other CTOs doing? How do they organize their teams? You know, how does all of this stuff play in? Do you have, you know, now that now that you've you know been in the role for a while, are you starting to develop that network of peers that are in similar roles that kind of, how do you talk to the board? How do you do these sort of things?
2: Uh, I have a few. It's not extensive by any means at this point, but I, I do have a lot of friends who are also in similar positions in other companies and we will meet and shoot the breeze every now and then. Uh, so yes, there's a little bit of that happening at the same time. As you said earlier, it's also a, a case-by-case basis, every company is different. For example, uh, you'll find that in many companies, the CTO is also the head of engineering, right? Mm -hmm. And so they have that function. So they're far more operationally focused. In our case, because we have our VP of engineering, because we have our chief architect, in my case, it's it's less of that and more of. So I think uh, one has to find that right balance and the right sort of agenda for oneself right? Because at that level, the CEO is not going to tell me every day, like, you, "Arjit, go and do X or Y. It's something that I figure out, right, for myself, and it has to be based on the context that's around me, right? And so that's sort of part of the whole process, especially initially, it was important for me to figure out because, you know, one fine day you're the CEO. Yeah, right? exactly, right? Like, right, there's right. no roadmap. I mean, I think right.
1: that that's one of the things that um, I think I was getting at with the question of, like, one day you're on a product roadmap or trying to deliver that, and the next day it's just like blank space in front of you. Mm-hmm. You're like, wait, mm-hmm. I got to figure out what are the right things to do. Where do I where do I look at those cues? I wanted to talk a little bit about IT at SignalFX because something we touched on a little bit with Rajesh. You and I talked, you know, before we before we hopped on air here about it. It's a little different how you structure. Obviously, you, you're born in the cloud, so that makes uh, you know infrastructure completely different. Um, how do you view like internal processes and in IT? at SignalFX? So
2: there's sort of two ways to look at it. So there's the the information technology that we are using ourselves in our day-to-day work, right? So our laptops, our connectivity, and so on, all of that. At the same time, uh, we are also running a SaaS service that's running in the cloud, right? And so with us, we took uh, from the beginning a kind of a minimalistic, simplistic attitude towards the IT, the technology that we use on a day-to-day basis. For example we don't have tethered Ethernet connections anywhere. We decided it's going to be wireless and wireless is going to be good enough, fast enough. Uh, we don't run any, any servers, so on, like within ourselves because it's all in the cloud. Everybody gets a laptop. Everybody gets connected to the wireless. It's done, right? So in that sense, obviously, as we are scaling up, like... You have to have other sets of tools. You have to have asset management, security, this and that. So there's a lot of other stuff that comes in. So now we have an IT function. But in our case, the IT function reports up to the finance department. That's so interesting. Right? Because they're in charge of facilities and various other things. Uh, so that's very interesting. And on the on the engineering side, on the product side, on the SaaS side, we run in the cloud. And so since that's something, because we are obviously a DevOps shop where we are producing code, we are operating it. So that function necessarily has to be within engineering, Mm -hmm. right? So we do have a function to sort of manage our usage of the cloud, both in terms of the kind of tools that we use, also like keeping a track because where finance will come in is cost management. We cannot just use as much resources as we want. Mm -hmm. However, we may like it too. So, So there's some amount of interaction that's obviously always going on because there's a business aspect of, our cloud footprint that's important for the company to manage but for the most part it's all managed by engineering uh, on the cloud side so it's uh, two different uh, so we don't have any CIO so to speak right so somebody from you know sales or marketing
1: wants a product do they just go get it talk to to the CFO (laughs) go get it
2: Uh, kinda yeah so everybody gets a budget and then, you know, you, you need a, you know Salesforce tool, a marketing tool, et cetera. We have very strong leaders on the sales and marketing side. Mark Cranny, we have uh, mm-hmm. Tom Buta and so on. And so we are, uh, you know, they're empowered to go make the right calls and get the right tools, whatever's necessary to run the business.
1: Before we uh, before we get some lightning round action here and finish with the rest of the questions, I do want to go back to Facebook for a quick second. Any stories from Facebook that were particularly interesting when you were there? You know, you saw massive growth from the time that you were there and, and there for, for a good while. Anything particular that stood out?
2: Yes, quite a few things actually. Uh, the Facebook experience was very, very interesting for me because a couple of things happened, right? So first of all, when I joined, as I said, it was a very small company. It's Like, like I said, less than 100 engineers, I don't know, 40 million plus something active users but when i joined i still remember my first day we had this onboarding and it was uh, done by chris cox who, who was sort of the chief product officer eventually very very sharp guy amazing guy and he's talking about the social graph mm-hmm. and he's saying look uh, you know humans are connected through a social graph and our goal is to build the social graph of the world and i felt wow that's very ambitious here you are with just 40 million users within US potentially and you're talking about building the social graph of the world like the cynic in me was like yeah right yeah right? right but it ended up being true so there was this this drive to really I, I feel like there was so much vision within the company of where they wanted to go and it was not just things for getting some ad dollars but there was some kind of a mission the company had and over time it kind of worked out to be true right uh, another thing that was very uh interesting to me was that uh, and a lot of my friends would also ask me the same question you're going to Facebook it's just a website like totally what, you know what can it be like how much interesting work can that be like how are you going to make money but that's a separate point point. and so there was a little bit of a uh, minimization of like the technical challenge there like they would really question my decision and then what I found is there was far more hardcore computer science and interesting work happening at FB than, for example, I saw at Cisco. Yeah, Because because I was not in the switches and router stuff, and I'm sure Cisco does amazing things. But for the most part, when you build a product, it's mostly about getting it to work. You're not going to have millions of users. So things like scale and performance become less critical than making the feature work. While at Facebook, because of the sheer size of their users, Like, it was just very different. So the amount of, like, hardcore technical computer science that I saw there was another thing that was very mind-blowing for me. Another thing I'll say is, again, while we are on the topic, uh, by the time I joined the company, I had almost 10 years of work experience. So I was, like, kind of out there. I've seen some stuff. And one of the things that I would feel is, well, you know, here's this company that's uh, a lot of young engineers, mostly straight out of school, a year or two of, you know, experience, they haven't seen a whole lot. And a lot of times they would say or do things that you feel are kind of obvious or obviously wrong, right? And, you know, one could take a cynical view of that, right? But what what I found is that unless you sort of unlearn some of the things and sort of take a fresh look at challenges, you're never, ever going to conquer new ground. I'll give you an example. So at some point, you know, everybody knows Facebook runs on PHP and PHP is, people have various opinions about that language, but it was not a super high performing language. And the company was growing so much at some point, we didn't even have enough servers to serve the users. But at that time, the company has started a project to compile PHP into C code and then run it as like binaries, the like compiled binaries. And when that project got started, I was like, this is a, a fool's errand. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. This is just, PHP is much too complicated. Again, contrary to my expectations, it ended up being successful. And actually, that's the project that actually allowed us to improve performance and keep on with the growth and not fall over. At some point, this was actually saved the company's ass, so to speak. That's funny. And so there has been so many cases like that that I feel... Uh, like I said, like it's it's changed me in a many way in how I observe how things evolve, how you know how how things get made, and so it. But it's it's been like a very very interesting and you know uh, enriching experience in that sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are so many lessons from you know early days there. Same thing with Snapchat, where you just look at the product being something that like I think people of a certain age were like why would you want, why would you want a photo that disappears? For example, right? you know, like, right. why would you want to, or like, you know, why would you want to check into where you are? Like, why would you want to do these things? And I think that there, it's the same thing with the actual technology being worked on. A lot of times we just bring our baggage into the decision-making process of like, but why would you do that? Why would you want to have, uh, you know, or why, do, why would you think that that is possible?
2: Right, um, And what right. you
1: realize is that the people who, you know, push those limits or try to explore those things. And I think ultimately it comes back to having a business model where you can take chances. If you don't have the headcount to be able to throw on a project like that, then it's really tough to be able to run those type of
2: experiments. Yes, because um, taking chances, it, it blows my mind how fast our like world is changing now. Yeah, like, it's sometimes like scary, uh, even on the on the technical side. Like you will see c- companies like Nokia, for example, that was like the number one phone company, ruling the world 2007. Within five years, six years, whatever, they just obliterated, right? And the pace of change is just like shocking. Even in, uh, I do talks, and then one of the things that I it blows my mind is. Nowadays, it's all about cloud and Amazon Mm -hmm. and Google Mm -hmm. and what have you. Amazon cloud came out of beta 10 years ago. In 10 years, nowadays, if that's all you will hear at any conference, that's all people are willing, in 10 years, it just entirely changed. So I think it's very, very important for companies to be taking chances, right? So, and you will see that nowadays, if you look at the companies like Google and Facebook, they're always have like, no end of projects that they will try. Oh, yeah. And 90% of them will fail. And the cynical view is that, look, they're trying all these things and they're not succeeding and blah, 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 blah. But my view is at least they're trying. And even if one or two of those succeed, that's great. As opposed to not trying and then falling over and dying at some point, right? So it's it's just, it's almost become a, a requirement in order to have any kind of long-term success in my mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you, you can't learn in the classroom. Like that's like one yeah. of the one of the, oldest things. Like, we thought that you learned in the classroom, but you don't. You learn by doing it in real time. And it's like, if you don't actually try to do those things and give it a fair shot, then how are you going to learn what, you know, how are you going to get feedback on this thing? And ultimately, like, you learn so much when you have those efforts that don't work. Like, all of the engineers or whoever it is on those projects learn a ton about why it didn't work. It's kind of one of those how many things were created in life on accident, right? you know whether it's penicillin or whatever yes, right yes, like yes I mean half the half the inventions are are by accident. How do you create room for serendipity in your team uh, to be able to like have those projects being
2: work worked on and push push innovation? yes, so um. It's a mix of different things. I think uh, one needs to get inspired. One of the things that I like about the company, and especially I get to do much more because of my role, is to meet with customers, to meet, you know, go to conferences, meet with customers, prospects, and just see what people are doing Mm -hmm. and what kind of problems are they facing. Because unless you hear them or unless you hear about what people are trying, like sometimes they trigger ideas, right? So that's something that we as an engineering team like to do. Uh, in our case, it's also interesting because our product is kind of technical. It's a little bit advanced. So typically, we don't see the kind of features or functionalities that we have with our customers. So uh, what that means is, you know, unlike, you know, traditional product management where the customer will say, you know, I want a burger of this size with this taste and whatnot. And you just take the survey and then try to build it. In our case, it's really understanding the customer's use cases, the problems, and then figuring out what, because they may may not know, they won't tell you what the right thing is. So there's a lot of that interaction that A number one is important for us to do. The second is uh, we obviously are again an engineering bunch. We have like uh, lots of engineering technical discussions within the company, we have tech talks and so on. The third thing we do is we have these hackathons, which have become like pretty uh, standard now in the Valley. And so we do that too. We actually do long ones we do a uh, three-day long long oh, hackathons wow. because that way you can get something substantial done and then we plan them ahead so uh you know people can uh, like submit ideas and they can canvas for others to join them because not everything can be done by a single person so it's like a big production thing so we do that uh I think once a year, and then at that point, like again, a lot of interesting ideas will come up. So we sort of, you know, uh, at this point, we are also within the engineering organization. We've set the process up so that we can do exploratory sort of uh, investigations on certain ideas and so on, not necessarily have them in the product plan, but have the exploration part of our roadmap, so to speak. So we're sort of trying to set up both the process as well as some of the other things around it to... Try new things, but it's a lot of also just looking around, seeing you know, following uh, others, and and looking at what's sort of new coming on. Uh, we will get influential sometimes speakers or you know representatives of other companies or other open source projects to come and talk to us. So it's a mix of various different things.
1: What are your roles and responsibilities as CTO at SignalFX, and what are the type of customers that you're working with?
2: I consider myself, uh, SignalFX's many-headed hydra, <laughs> in some <laughs> sense, in the sense that I have uh, like four or five different areas that I sort of engage with, especially given, as I mentioned, we have our engineering VP, we have a chief architect. So my role is uh, to sort of like combine product management, engineering, sales, marketing together. That's sort of be the focal point of some of that. So in terms of what I do, I meet with uh, customers because again, we meet with a lot of enterprise large customers who have very progressive thinkers uh, and so they want to talk to us on a very authentic technical level. So I do that a lot, obviously talk to customers. On the marketing side, this is very important because I feel like part of my role is to to make observability a thing because yeah. there's l- huge part of the world where it's still maybe not as advanced as it can and should be and I feel that as the world sort of becomes more modern and becomes more cloud native, it's a function. I feel can consider myself an evangelist in some sense, right? Absolutely. Not only speaking about the company, not necessarily, but talking about observability and how to do it right, what the challenges, just informing. So that's a big part of that. On the product management side, as I mentioned, because I get to meet a lot of customers, I I do get insight into what their challenges are, what they're looking for. So I bring that experience back uh, to engineering. And on the engineering side, because again, that's kind of what I was doing before this role here, I I definitely keep a track of especially the major efforts that are going on. I'm part of the, uh, we have an architecture council that Rajesh is the lead of. So I'm a member of that because it's very important for me to not only bring my experience in, but also keep track of what's going on within the engineering organization so that then I can represent that and I can have, you know, substantive discussions with customers and prospects. So it's sort of four, five different things.
1: And what like, give an example of of uh, of like one of your one of the Signal FX customers and kind of like how they use the use the platform.
2: Uh, I, don't can, I don't know if yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah, yeah, I can talk about some. Uh, there's we have lots of sort of so-called enterprise logos, like large customers that like to use us. For example, the latest one, Atlassian, is a very well-known company, yeah. very successful company. But one uh, I'm going to talk about is the one I can name right now is let's say consider Yelp. So Yelp is a long-term customer of SignalFX. They're actually one of our original beta partners. Oh, wow. And they are very advanced. They're actually very fantastically advanced in sort of how they do their operations and their monitoring. And that's why they sort of selected us because they liked our tool and we were able to scale. So what they do is uh, very interesting. So they will, a lot of times when they deploy Yelp, when the code changes, you know what they do? They will deploy a brand new Yelp Oh, wow. Because it's all on Amazon, and they shut down the old one if things look good. It's called you know, blue-green deployments. And so uh, you can imagine how much data we have to handle suddenly when things like that happen. So they, they're they doing things like that. They're using uh, what's called infrastructure and monitoring as code, which is a new thing that where you, you have do everything programmatically, the configurations are all stored in, in source control, so you know exactly what changed. It's called immutable infrastructure because you deploy what's in your Git, so to speak, and then that doesn't get changed. You can go and you don't make tweaks and such as much. You just deploy new things and you shut down old ones. So it makes operations easier. So they're one of the guys who are at the forefront of that. The pattern we see with large companies like that is they will have a central team that is in charge of observability as a thing within the company. They're not the ones, they're not the SREs that are manning the pagers or they're looking at you know individual services they're just enabling the rest of the company to do their job well and they're in, in working with us to for set up the right tools and so on so that's a very interesting uh, use case another one is a, a, a large apparel manufacturer that is now selling direct to consumer mm-hmm. so they will have these flash sales where you know millions of shoes may get sold in like a few minutes yep and that is also fantastic that's entirely different use case again right and they selected us because there was nobody else who could give them like the per second view and the per second view is important because if the flash sale is going to run out in less than 5 minutes what good is a dashboard or an alert that fired after a few minutes like yep. zero good right and so that was also very so we get to see very interesting and varied Use cases and all across the board. So we have, you know, Yelp is a digital company for for recommendations. Apparel manufacturers different. We have financial customers. Uh, we have all kinds of. So anybody who's going to the internet, who's becoming digitally transformed, going to the cloud, they need tools like this. So you know, my 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 view is like it's like flying an aeroplane. Like back in the day, you did uh, you know, rode a horse and buggy and you need a little, you know, windshield was good enough. It was your single pane of glass, as I like to say. But if you're driving something that's more advanced, which modern clouds and containers, et cetera, are, you need an associated set of tools that will let you do that successfully. You cannot drive a Ferrari without any dials, right? It just doesn't get done. And so I feel that we are part of that ecosystem that is making this more modern, brave new world sort of successful by enabling that to happen in some sense, right?
1: I love the uh, the quote from the VP of engineering at, at Yelp said, for the vast amount of metrics we produced, SignalFX was the only solution we tried that didn't fall over in the first week. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, but I think that, that that's the challenge, right? Is that, you know, there's so many use cases now and it's so complex that if you're not in real time, uh, if you don't have that real-time monitoring, then, you know, that's where we're going for everybody. Um, and if you're not there now, you better be soon.
2: Yeah, you're, you're right. Because it's shocking how quickly the humans will react on Twitter oh my when goodness. they are not happy. Oh, right? yeah. Go to the Airline. And Tom, especially, like, he's also been changing my thinking, uh, just observing, like, Brand is important. It's it's very 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 important, and you cannot let that suffer, and you cannot let humans have bad experience. Because for example, an apparel manufacturer can sell all their shoes. That's not the problem. It's that whether that experience went well for their customers is what's important. And so, so yes, so real time is key. And then you know, we a lot of times we get asked like, hey, you know, I'm a human. I'm not gonna it's going to take me 2 minutes to wake up and you know make my coffee and look at your alert anyway so what does real time matter like it doesn't make any sense to me you're just maybe overselling it and the answer is that's actually very wrong way of yeah. looking at things uh, the trend because of the complexity and the speed of everything is towards more automation so at facebook we had this project called facebook auto remediation f bar which was a supremely successful project ended up by the time I think I left maybe 80 to 90%, if not more, of all alerts were auto-remediated because 90% of all alerts are actually the simple ones where you just have to know to take a predictable action. Well, you don't need a human to come and make the same decision over and over again. You can let the bots do it, which is exactly what happened. That way, humans who are fewer can focus on the hard problems, right? And that's really the trend is that after a while, I see us to moving towards more of a automated, self-running cloud for the most part where things are just going to react and fix themselves. And that's really the brave new future, uh, so to speak, that we're moving towards. And that's where like timeliness in real time is important because what's happening is the bots can work in seconds, A. And secondly, SLA requirements demands are becoming stricter and stricter, right? So if I want to meet four nines of SLA, which any financial institution might want, that's four minutes that you have in a whole month for all your problems from finding them to fixing them, deploying it, all of that, four minutes in a month. So yes, you do not have minutes anymore, right? And so automation is the way, and I think analytics and 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 real timeness are sort of key drivers for those things to be successful in my mind. Let's
1: get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. You have no idea what's coming, but they're fast and easy, just like the lightning platform from Salesforce You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. You can learn more about how to build apps faster and easier than ever before. Lightning questions. Are you ready?
2: Yes, I am. As ready as I will
1: be. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun?
2: I love playing Fruit Ninja. (laughs) Fruit Ninja. I'm on the plane a lot. And then a lot of times I'll just get that out and I'll be playing Fruit Ninja. My girlfriend loves Fruit
1: Ninja. Shout out to the people at Fruit Ninja.
2: What is your favorite recent
1: book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently?
2: Podcast, I'm currently hooked on. It was a recommendation from Leonid. It's called Business Wars. Oh. oh my God, it's very interesting. So it talks about like business competitions. So like Nike versus Adidas, yeah. or Burger King versus McDonald's is the recent one I uh, I just heard. And then there was also a fascinating one about Ferrari versus Lamborghini. Oh, that's Netflix good. versus Blockbuster. I recommend it. In terms of books, uh, I like to read popular science a lot. And a friend of mine suggested this book uh, by a physicist called Carlo Rovelli. And he speaks about uh, quantum something something where basically he says space is quantized even space is quantized and it's very very interesting like just it was a brand new because I think physics and science is also progressing very very fast suddenly so that was a very very fun read I think it was called either the arrow of time or something like that it's a very very fascinating book what about your
1: favorite vacation spot
2: uh Yellowstone National Park I've been there a couple three times actually amazing amazing place What do you do for fun? Obviously I like to read I like to cook Uh, I travel a lot both my wife and I share that passion What's your favorite thing to cook? Uh, Biryani
1: and desserts Ooh We might need to I need to have you back (laughs) There you go (laughs) What Thing are you most excited about for the future of technology?
2: I just want to be there as much as possible to see what the future brings. It's like, like I said, it blows my mind how quickly things are changing with material science, with, you know, DNA and and, and bi- biotech and so on, computer science, like quantum, uh, you know, computers. Like I hesitate to uh, make a prediction about where things will go, but I know that it's going to be very fun and exciting.
1: What is your best advice for a first-time CTO?
2: I would say uh, for the first-time CTO, take a bit of time and understand the expectations of your role. Because like I said, the situation is very different from different companies. Ask around, figure out like what the expectation of your role is. That's very important before trying to sort of maybe act very quickly. And then also, I think one must realize that what of those are like, play to your strengths, things that you enjoy. It cannot just be because I'm expected to do something that's not enjoyable to me that you should. So I think passion is a force multiplier personally. So if you're passionate about something, you will be good at it, you will do it well. And so I think, uh, yeah, so figure out what, what, what the business needs from you, obviously understand the expectations and also find like, focus it towards your strengths and then try to get help where you're maybe not as passionate about. I
1: love that. What question? Did I not ask you today that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often?
2: I think I'm drawing a blank. You've been a very great
1: interviewer. (laughs) I mean, I'll take that for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I think I'm drawing a blank. How about um,
1: what would your, what would one of your colleagues say about you behind your back?
2: Oh, they'll uh, comment on my disgusting jokes. So I have oh. this, I have this passion. Actually, it's a passion at this point. It's an obsession, probably, for bad puns. Oh, and that's okay. all I can think of. My mind is crooked, and uh, so I'm inflicting them on my coworkers pretty much all the time. And I'm sure they're, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm so cursing for, me behind my back all I'm the time. So
1: here for bad puns, we. I am, I also drop a lot of bad puns into uh, into our Slack channel. Rg, this has been absolutely awesome. Thanks so much for for coming on the show. Anything to plug? Well, everyone should check out Signal SignalFX. A- anything else?
2: No, check out SignalFX. Uh, follow me on Twitter. And, uh, and, and hopefully I can have some good discussions with you guys about observability. Like I said, uh, this is an area of great passion for me, obviously, also for my company. And so, uh, you know, drop us a line and we can chat.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll do an episode in the not too distant future and just go super deep. I mean, we did a bunch of stuff with Rajesh, but I think that there's some uh, a deep dive uh, on observability that we could do. But uh, awesome. We'll have you back. This has been fantastic.
2: Awesome. Great. It, it was my pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Salesforce just introduced Salesforce Blockchain, the industry's first truly declarative blockchain platform integrated into your CRM. Learn more at salesforce.com slash blockchain.